This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. the latest edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball three different states three different locations for your three different fearless hosts on uh this week's episode of the show before the show my name is tyler mon in denver colorado benjamin hill is in new york city and sam dykstra is in louisville kentucky hi sam how are you how's your pronunciation of louisville been going i think uh i have one more game to go to tonight and i think by then Maybe I'll really get a town. I I was saying Louisville to get in. Yeah. Like as I was flying in and telling people I'm going to Louisville. Uh, I think the E is, is losing some of its strength. It's they land, Louisville. you landed and they like pushed you up against a wall and they were like, it's not Louisville. It's, yeah. They don't have customs here. They have pronunciation <laughs> checks. How are you going to say it when you get through? It must be hell come uh, derby time, you know, like, yeah, that is all true. these people. Maybe the people flying in on their private jets get to skip the pronunciation check, but I did not. So I'm losing the E in Louisville. Louisville, uh, happy to be here. It's been a great time. I uh, got to see, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Christian Encarnacion Strand, Reds prospect, homered yesterday. Ellie De La Cruz fired a 99-mile-an-hour missile. Like, you come here to see prospects, and then they live up to the hype. I love it every time. That is pretty great. Uh, Benjamin Hill returning from the road. Ben's back home in New York. Uh, ben, what's going on? Yeah, I returned from the road. I mean, I guess it was like a week ago at this point, but time is getting a little shaky for me now. And uh, this week, uh, as I was saying to you guys uh, before we went, quote unquote, on the air, uh, it's been a very uh, burning the candle at both ends sort of week. Um, You know, my son, Harry, is two years old. He's been getting up at five in the morning and uh, was a little sick as well. Monday night, my team lost in uh, my pinball league playoffs. So that was a late night. I saw the band Acid Mother's Temple last night at Mercury Lounge. It's probably about the 35th time I've seen them. Uh, So by a factor of like two, I've seen that band more than anyone else. But I hadn't seen them for four years. They're my favorite live band of all time. And uh, I love them. But I had a late rock and roll night. And uh, here we are trying to get through the day. And I will. And everything is good. I like the idea of this episode being named a late rock and roll night, <laughs> um, even though it's not really going to capture what we're talking about on this week's episode of the show before the show, but it could but we it could just dive into it. Metaphorically, yeah. what, exactly. Um, well, if you're tuned in, we thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the show before the show. And if you're not tuned in, you're not hearing me say this. So that was a pointless way to lead into that. Uh, but you can get in touch with this podcast at MILB.com. You can find us on Twitter, of course, at Ben's Biz, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Tyler Mon. And uh, Ben, the road trip in the bank now. You went to the Northwest, uh, got a chance to travel around one of the most beautiful areas of the country, see some of the coolest uh, minor league franchises in the country. And and you got to go see the lone minor league franchise in another country, which is also very cool. Uh, give us some of the highlights. I know we were uh, getting set to talk about uh, a very fascinating staff addition in Eugene that came about in a, an extremely unorthodox way. Um, that seems like a very fun story that we need to hear in detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. So last week, I, I do believe I, I talked from Tacoma in my segment and uh, still had to go to Vancouver, got back. Uh, yeah, everything's a long story these days. Anyway, yeah, I got back and now I'm making sense of all the material. Um, one of the first, you know, proper standalone traditional MILB.com road, road trip stories that I've written that is now up and live living on the website, MILB.com, the official website of minor league baseball, um, is about the Eugene Emeralds public address announcer, a woman named Jill Cole on Twitter at the female PA. And I met her, uh, I was in Eugene for two nights, Friday, May 5th, and Saturday, May 6th. Uh, May 6th was Exploding Whales, and I've got a big story to write about the Exploding Whales at some point in my near future. 
But on May 5th, I did a lot of other kind of standalone interviews and stories, and Jill Cole was one of them. Because here's how, in a nutshell, she got the job as public address announcer at PK Park, you know, which the Eugene Emeralds share with the University of Oregon. She was at a Eugene Emeralds game with her family, you know, her husband or two kids, um, you know, little kids. And she loves to heckle. So she's heckling and she says, you know, I'm a clean heckler. I was just at the game clean heckling. I just like that phrase, you know, just like she used it so naturally. Like I was just at the game clean heckling, you know, as one does, you know, just uh, wouldn't it be fun to go to the game tonight, honey? Do a little clean heckling. You know, that was kind of the the vibe. So she's um, heckling at a Eugene Emeralds game. And Alan Benavidez, the team's general manager, hears her and is like, whoa, that woman's got a good voice and I can hear her from, you know, from many feet away. So he he decides to kind of make a game of it. He walks over to her, you know, in the aisle, you know, he motions to her like, Hey, you know, miss come talk to me. Jill thinks she's going to be reprimanded. I would be so nervous. Yeah. Like kicked out of the ballpark for heckling. You know, Jill's husband is standing up like, wait, what you're going to kick her out. What? So she squeezes down the aisle, goes to where Alan Benavides is standing, thinking there's going to be some sort of uh, not altercation, but maybe a confrontation about, um, you know, her clean heckling and how she needs to tone it down. But instead, Alan says, you've got a great voice. Have you ever thought about being the PA announcer? And she was like, no, like I never thought about that. Um, So Alan gives her uh, his card and she's like, huh, that's weird. Next time she comes to a game, Alan hears her again, tracks her down and says, come on, come with me, brings her up to the press box. The um, full-time public address announcer uh, steps aside for an inning and just says, and Jill gets to do PA. She did well. You know, the crowd responded well. She enjoyed it. Then she became a backup for a couple seasons. And now this year she's entered uh, PA duties as the primary role. And uh, so if you go to Eugene Emerald's game and you hear Jill's voice over the public address announcer uh, announce system, which you will, you know, know that she got that position from clean heckling. And I think that's a lesson to everybody out there. You know, go to a ball game and just be you. You know, don't bring anyone else's time down and certainly be clean. You know, it's a family friendly environment, but uh, don't be afraid to show your personality because you never know what it might lead to. Yeah, I like that uh, tinge of it, of like show your personality. Because I was trying to think, what's another role that you could get just by being at the ballpark? Like, what if you just started yelling hot dogs? And like, <laughs> hey, you seem to sell hot dogs well. You want a job doing that? Or you just start doing play-by-play from your seat loudly. And they're like, hey, wait a second. Like, Tyler, how would you feel if all of a sudden you just heard somebody else? I will say the only way that I ever got a ball at a minor league game as a fan is talking loudly about how I had never gotten a ball. I was like 16. I was at a Colorado Springs Sky Sox game uh, against the then Oklahoma City Red Hawks. And I, we were sitting right next to the dugout and I was just talking loudly about the fact that I had never gotten a ball. And uh, one of the Red Hawks um, coaches, their first or third base coach, somebody just went into the dugout, got a ball, pointed at me and flipped it to me. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, So I guess it works in certain circumstances. Um, Yeah, I I like that. I got to say that story was very good, but it got a little bit worse when you said teen. Yeah, like I was six. Yeah. And I was loudly complaining. Yeah, no, I I got a ball. I'm not. I'm not saying it was right. <laughs> yeah. You were driving age and all of a sudden you hey, I, don't know what, I yeah. never it's like I've never and we've had this conversation I think once or twice before but like I've never caught a ball at a big league game. Am I like I don't know. I'm still in my mind I'm st- you you get into a queue as a child to get a ball. If you're an adult and you still haven't caught a ball, why do I have to give that ball away? Like come on, make the kid catch it. If he wants yep. the ball or she wants the ball. I called a major a ball at a major league game, barehanded it one hand. And I did not give that ball to anybody. Yeah. Especially if you catch it barehanded one handed. No yeah. kid deserves that. That's a heck of a play. Yeah. I was in but, the upper deck at a Mets game. I had a, a cider, a canned cider in one hand, moved a little to my left, caught it with my left hand barehanded. And I, that's sat, amazing. The funny thing is, as I sat down immediately, I just was like, stood up, caught it. And then went back to my seat. Didn't even do like a moment of celebration. And because you don't want to draw attention to yourself because then everybody's going to be like, give it to a kid. Yeah, I don't know what. Like I was psychoanalyzing that later. Was I trying to be kind of arrogant? Like this is so no, no stress. For <laughs> I'm me, so used I'm to these kinds of plays. Yeah. Don't worry yeah, about was it. Was it arrogance or was it 
that I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I had a Phillies hat on at a Mets ballpark. It wasn't a big crowd. I don't think this was in 2014. I don't think either team was particularly good back then. So it wasn't like a real heated environment or a big crowd. But I think part of that was that like I, I didn't want like people to see the guy in the Phillies hat. I just made that awesome play. You know, who knows? But it gave me a lot to think about. But a friend of mine just sent me, you know, one of those Facebook, you know, memories uh, of that moment. A friend of mine who was there and I saw that picture and I was like, yeah, that was awesome. I stood up. I caught that ball. Ben's biz in civilian mode. He still gets it done at the ballpark. One thing I, I think we should really harp on here, though, is the important stipulation that this was the first and only ball you caught, right? Like, we're not the official stance of the show before the show is not all adults should keep right. all the balls they get. Right. No, it, your first ball only. You get a one time exception on your first okay. ball only. All right. I just don't want to get Zach too far away from here like, yeah. being a clown to everybody. It's your first okay, ball. Okay, wait, wait. But it was the second ball I caught, actually, because the first one. Now we have controversy. Although, <laughs> if it's like a spectacular play like that, I feel like there's wiggle room. Yeah. And the first one was I was in, uh, as I believe you were as well, Tyler, I was um, a big brother, like big brother, little brothers. And uh, so I got the tickets in this case through big brothers. Uh, I was with my little brother, Shane. I brought a glove to the game, not because I usually bring a glove because I was trying to encourage Shane to be into it. And we got there a little late, sat down um, midway between the first Mets came to bat in the bottom of the first he didn't really want to wear the glove. So I would just like, all right, man, I'm going to wear the glove and kind of show you how it's done. Jose Reyes was the first batter of the game and just fouled one back. And we were just, you know, pretty, pretty good seats a little bit down the first baseline. So first batter, we were in our seats to watch. He hits one. I have the glove on. I just stood up and catch it, caught it. So that was cool, but it had two things. Like, you know, I did give it to the kid because I was there with Shane and two, I had a glove, which made it seem in a way like, yeah, because I don't bring a glove to a game. I, I That was literally the only time in, Probably the last 20 years I brought a glove to a game and I happened to catch a ball with a glove, but I felt like that makes it didn't not count. I wish I hadn't had that glove. So I had the opportunity to barehand it and really see if I had what it took. Well, the fact that you gave it away, one and two, uh, that you recognize that like there was a little bit of artificial uh, catch making uh, with the glove. That means that you retain your right of refusal to give the next one to a kid, especially if you make a barehand play. The only thing cooler than making a barehand play is catching it in a beer cup. Uh, but it has to be full and the beer has to splash everywhere. And then you get to keep that too. So I'm with you on all this. Sam seems to be a little bit in disagreement here and I'm not sure I like the attitude. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not in disagreement. I'm just, I don't want it to be. We've gone so far down this road of like, yeah. And this is why I kept the ball and didn't give it to children. <laughs> the like, show before the show is now anti-child. Yeah. I, I just don't want to get that. Far. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy for people who catch balls and keep them and, and get to keep them. And there, Ben's on the only father here. I feel like, even Ben eventually will tell Harry, like, no, you got to get the ball yourself. It's not just like oh. this dude catches it and he hands it off to you four rows away. No way. I'm going to be like that kind of dad, you know, within reason. But I'm going to be like, man, like, let, like, let's like suffer first. Cause then when like something really good happens, yeah. like, appreciate it. Then you appreciate I understand it. little kids. It's good giving little kids stuff. But like, if, you know, he gets a ball in that fashion just cause he's cute. I'd be like, cool, man. But like, you didn't do it. You didn't earn so, it. Like, yeah. You didn't earn it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> let's come back out here and let, you know, do it yourself. And then, then we can really celebrate. I like that. Man, have we gotten sidetracked. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, <laughs> that's good. Now that we have the, you know, we, we need to write this stuff down of like the show before the show, official way to attend a ball game, when to do something, when not to do something. Maybe that'll be the offseason project. Yeah. We'll, like, but, codify but, 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 all of this stuff. Exactly. But for our purposes now, if you're a clean heckler, you might get a job as a public address announcer. There you go. Bring it on. Jill, home, as Jill Cole did in Eugene, Oregon. All right. Well, after that, when, when you uh, you know joined the podcast last week, which was you recording and, and sending it to us, a, a missive from the road, you were about to head to Vancouver. You were about to go north of the border. How was your experience with the Canadians? Not just the team, but the fan base. All the okay. Canadians. It was awesome. I hadn't been there since 2012. I have one fairly large regret is that I just wasn't there for enough time. I really wish I had a full another day in Vancouver, both to explore that beautiful city and also to have a second game at Nat Bailey Stadium, because there's so many people to talk to and so many potential stories. But, you know, I had to kind of have a tight schedule now on these road trips, especially with the, uh, you know, the aforementioned fatherhood thing. So I Got through the border. It was no problem at all, which is great. Um, and drove straight to the ballpark, got there around four o'clock. So I had a, a little bit of time before a seven o'clock game to walk around. 
And I remember this from last year, 11 years ago, that there's a public park across the street from the ballpark. And that Bailey Stadium is next to like, like an ice rink and like curling facility. So like the ballpark was packed at four o'clock with all these like people who were using the other like com- the other sporting complexes or facilities around that Bailey. Um, but I walked by all that across the street. And I believe it's called Queen Elizabeth Park, but it's literally right across the street from Nat Bailey Stadium. And uh, so when you cross the street, it's immediately sloping upward. And so I walked, you know, 10 or 15 minutes up a hill at Queen Elizabeth Park. And then, you know, there's an observatory, a restaurant, but just views that are phenomenal. I put one on Instagram, put it on Twitter, but the city skyline, beautiful flowers, um, you know, especially this time of year, you know, budding flowers, you know, verdant trees mountains in the background blue sky clouds the city the water like you have like everything you could want in a good view just right there and it was i walked like 12 15 minutes to to be in that position from the minor league ballpark and um so it's just amazing and uh nap Valley stadium having been built in 1951 you know we got we should look into this but i think at this point you know after the minor league baseball contraction and going down to 120 teams I think we lost all our other rooftop press boxes except for Nat Bailey Stadium, you know, built in 1951, still has the rooftop press box. So when I went up there during the game to spend some time on the air with their broadcaster, Tyler Zickel, um, great broadcaster, by the way. One of our absolute favorites of all time. Yeah. One of the best people in baseball and yeah. and sports at large. And, you know, just among people that I know, I've actually never met in person, but that I know. No, he's a great dude, has a background from Lake Elsinore, learned from one of the best out there, Sean McCall, and uh, is you know rocketing upwards in my Tyler rankings, I have to say, <laughs> my Tyler broadcaster rankings. Same here. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's got the top spot in my book, so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just to go up to the press box to be on the radio and before and afterwards, just standing on the roof and having a version of that view looking from the other direction of the hills and the mountains. Like you do this you have this beautiful nature landscape looking away from the ballpark and then you turn around and you have the game on the field from the roof. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, and the, the covered grandstand and just an old fashioned type uh, atmosphere. I remember this from last time, but it certainly held the most like engaged fans. I think anywhere, literally anywhere in minor league baseball is in Vancouver, just in terms of really paying attention to the games in terms of just like pitch by pitch and especially under the covered grandstand with a little echo the ambient crowd noise is just phenomenal. The, just the, the you know, the oohs when something doesn't work and the cheering. And I mean, just the the dialogue the, the crowd has with the game itself is amazing. And I talked to a lot of people, um, you know, who've been there for years. I talked to an usher, Hans, not Hans, but he's from Holland originally. And he said, I'm Hans. And that's what, a, that's what it is. But uh, I talked to an usher named Hans, who's been around uh, for 40 plus years and, you know, just talking about what the team has meant to him. I talked to a you know, players don't uh, stay with host families anymore, but I, you know, talked to a long time uh, host family about what that experience in Vancouver had been. Um, another usher named Jerry, uh, who had been to the game and that ballpark as a kid in like 1952 and, you know, still is an usher today. You know, he has to be into his 80s, but just all these people with just, you know, really, really great roots at the ballpark. Um, there's just a love affair with that ballpark and that team in the city of Vancouver. And it's a big market. So, you know, it's a, and a small ballpark. So they draw pretty well between the size of their market and uh, the affinity people have for that ballpark and that team and the tradition of seeing uh, Vancouver Canadians baseball. So it was really, really great to be back. Um, A guy named Alec, A-L-E-C was my designated eater. Um, One of the things, of course, we had to get was the yard dog, which is, three feet, three foot hot dog on a specialty bun. Um, that, that really makes for, for quite a uh, photo op. They also had a tatine, which is poutine atop tater tots. So tatine mm. with the gravy and cheese curds. And I think some meat atop uh, and green onions to give it some color uh, atop tater tots. So, you know, some interesting food going on uh, great atmosphere game, you know, just seemed to fly by and then bam, had to leave the ballpark, check into some weird airport hotel, get two, three hours of sleep, and then uh, have a uh, travel snafu-related misadventure on my way back home the next day. But uh, at the risk of not going on another tangent or at the risk of going on one, I 
won't get into all that, but mistakes were made at the Calgary airport. And I will say, one, I wish I didn't have a connecting flight in general, but two, if you're going to have a connecting flight don't ha- and you're traveling from Canada to the U.S., like don't have a connecting flight in Canada because I had to get off for a connection and then go through customs because now I was finally going to the U.S. So I had to go through security twice, customs on the connecting flight, made further mistakes from there. It was not good, but it's not the city of Calgary's fault. And I hope to go to Calgary in another context one day and see all that it has to offer. Ben, one thing I'm curious about, and I know you went to a few Northwest League teams on this, but especially with Vancouver being the northernmost of the Northwest League, um, how do you feel like they're handling the transition from being a short season team to a full season team? Obviously, we're a few years into this now, but you went to see them in May. They were playing May in 2019. They were waiting another month especially for a cold weather place like that. Um, yeah. How do you feel like they're handling that transition? Yeah. I mean, I think all those teams, you know, are struggling somewhat in April and May with the unpredictable and often cold, wet, rainy uh, weather, of the Pacific Northwest. So it is tough. I mean, when the Canadians were a short season club, given the aforementioned like strong fan base, um, you know, being a, a short season team was just killing it. It made them a powerhouse because you just are operating only, you know, from mid June to like Labor Day. You're just in the most prime time for baseball and they would just sell out the whole stadium. In fact, I remember going there for the first time back in 2012 and for the first and still so far only time ever seeing scalpers in the parking lots, like at a minor league game, which I'd never seen before. So I still think they have and so their group areas and whatever are just sold out, you know, before the season starts for a lot of those traditional like summertime games that they used to exclusively play. April and May can still be a bit more of a slog. But for instance, I was there on a you know Wednesday in early-ish May and um, the weather really cooperated. So I'm sure they had a, you know, a decent walk-up crowd and it wasn't a sellout, but man, it felt there was a lot of life and energy and, and you know, just kind of great vibes for lack of a better way to put it the ballpark but they have certainly especially in april and in bad weather nights in may i think have had some of their lower crowds that they've ever seen (laughs) given that they prior to this you know spent you know two decades in short season baseball but before they were short season team they were triple a so there's definitely a precedent uh you know for cold weather full season baseball in the city of vancouver all right, Ben, what else is coming up uh, either to the site or already on the site that you want to plug for people to uh, to check out from uh, the trip and everything else? Yeah, well, we got Jill Cole on MILB.com talking about her unorthodox PA announcing origins. Um, last week on the show, I had, you know, we, we ran those two uh, video game related interviews with Hillsboro Hops pitchers Dylan Ray and Connor Grannis. Um, working on a, a corresponding story to that that should be up really soon. Uh, and the Ben's Biz Beat newsletter um, that's dropping today, um, it'll be already out by the time this podcast drops. I go real in-depth on Hillsboro, kind of like I used to in Ben's Biz blog, just you know, a lot of pictures, a lot of detail. Uh, so I figured I could use the newsletter when appropriate to really go deep um, in a more conversational way on ballpark visits. So subscribe to my newsletter if you have not already, please. And then from there, uh, next week and the week after, I have a lot of stories left, at least one, probably two or three more from all these different places, uh, and including maybe some stuff that you know we can spin off into standalone uh, podcast segments as well. That's It's a good problem to have, but the nature of what I do is just kind of trying to make sense of this random grab bag of material I come back with in my big material sack. And now I'm going through it and trying to figure it all out, but Stuff has uh, has begun begun to appear, and uh, a lot more to come. You can find Benjamin Hill on Twitter at Ben's Biz and uh, on Instagram at the Ben's Biz, and of course, read all the stuff on the site milb.com. And uh, thanks, Ben. Yeah, you're welcome. Here's to long rock and roll nights and uh, rough mornings, but we all persevere, power through, and survive. And kids catching their own baseballs. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Do it yourself, kids. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. 
Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, it's Sam just checking in here from after the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month on Thursday. Uh, that was a 13-1 win for the Louisville Bats. Oh, excuse me, Louisville Bats, as I was just saying before. I'm still get, trying to get this whole pronunciation thing down. 13-1 uh, win. Really special to watch these uh, these bats the last two days because I had been really clued in on Ellie De La Cruz, obviously the top prospect in the red system. Um, had a little bit of a rough day on Wednesday when I first saw him striking out twice, but then here in this 13-1 win, he walked twice. He had a double down the line. Uh, the strides he was taking to get to second on that double were really impressive. The speed lived up to the hype. Uh, the throwing ability lived up to the hype. He had a 99.1 mile an hour throw on Wednesday after bobbling the ball a little bit at shortstop. So it's been really special to see Ellie De La Cruz. Actually, check out MLB.com slash pipeline for a story I wrote about Ellie De La Cruz and how he's really improved his pitch selection and his swing decisions uh, in the last couple weeks. He's actually leading all of minor league baseball in walks since May 9th. So go check out that story for more info on Ellie De La Cruz. Christian Encarnacion Strand hit a homer on Wednesday when I was here at 111 miles per hour. That's his hardest hit homer of the young season. Uh, he also went three for three on Thursday in the 13 to one win. He exited early. He had a little bit of an ankle issue issue before the game. Uh, they completely took him out just for precautionary reasons. They didn't want uh, anything more to happen with the ankle. Obviously wasn't bothering him too much. Louisville manager Pat Kelly even said like he was asking to stay in the game. This was at that point, I think the score was 13 to nothing. There was no point in him even, you know, testing the ankle a little bit. Not a concern. He wasn't coming out because of a major league call up. I know a lot of people in Cincinnati uh, were keeping a keen eye on him and maybe a hug watch, but that wasn't the case uh, here on Thursday. But as much as I was honed in on those two guys, uh, the interview this week is actually going to be with Chucky Robinson, the catcher for the Louisville Bats. Uh, you might know Chucky Robinson from last year. He made his major league debut with the Reds uh, got in a few games in the majors with them. Actually, for him, catching is a bit of a family business. His grandfather played in the minor leagues as a catcher. His father played in the minor leagues as a catcher. So we talk about that a little bit. Um, but Chucky's a, a great personality, obviously, uh, Somebody who I remembered covering him during his time in the Astro system, and they were saying then how much pitchers liked working with the guy. So I thought it was an interesting time to talk to a catcher, not just because of Chucky Robinson, who's off to a great start again this year. After uh, Thursday's night, Thursday night's game, he's hitting 363 with a 914 OPS through 29 games in Louisville, definitely pressing the issue to get back to Cincinnati. But also talk to a catcher at a time when AAA is using the automated ball strike system. Um, what is it like to go through that, especially in AAA, first half of the week? You're using all automated balls and strikes. Uh, umpires are making no calls on their own behind the plate. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it switches to the challenge system, and a hitter, a pitcher, or the catcher can challenge a ball strike call immediately. How does that change how you work as a catcher? Wanted to get into that with Chucky Robinson. So here's me talking to Chucky Robinson about a multitude of things, including AAA readiness, major league experience, and again, working in that ABS system as a backstop. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
into the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. All right, Chuck, well, tonight, such a big win for you guys, both on both sides, the hitting side and the pitching side. How much of a complete game did it feel like from your perspective? Uh, I mean, our offense was, was clicking on all cylinders. Um, pitching, everybody passed the baton, did their job. I mean, it was a great team win overall. Yeah, and how deep is this lineup when you guys look at how much hitting you have up top but also right right on through the lineup? Yeah, man, we got dudes who are banging one through nine right now, uh, putting together at bats, uh, no heroes. Like like I said, kind of with the pitching staff, everybody's passing the baton right now, and everybody's sticking to the approach and putting together professional at bats, and I think that's why we're hitting so well right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Levi Stout coming off a major league appearance for you guys coming back tonight. What did you see out of him? Uh, kids just locked in, man. Uh, elite fastball, uh, really good slider, curve, changeup, really good four-pitch mix. He can throw any of them in, in any count. Uh, he's, he's been really poised on the mound and, you know, just by being in the big leagues, that's just a confidence booster when you come back down. So he, he's working and, uh, I mean, he's been doing well all year. Yeah, what is it like working with pitchers who are coming back down, you know, having gotten that experience and now they're here trying to get back? Um, I mean, you kind of you kind of can sense, you know, guys a little more locked in, you know. You go up there, you want to stick, obviously, but that's not the case all the time. And, I mean, whether you're in the big leagues or here, you know, everybody's here to, you know, get get batters out, whether it's a big leaguer or a minor leaguer. So um, he's just, you know, staying humble and, and sticking to uh, his plan and trying to get better every day. Yeah, and you're off to a strong start this year, too. You were hitting around 380 coming into tonight. What do you attribute that to? What's what's been working so well? Uh, just keeping it simple and playing the game for what it is, man. This is really, like, as simple as that, just, you know, having fun, watching the game, and making the necessary adjustments that I need throughout the game. You feel like you were making it complicated before? What do you mean by that? Um, you know, you can get you can get caught up in, like, like mechanics and, and not – not up there just trying to compete. It's as funny as it sounds, man. Um, we can, like, as, as baseball players, you know, we, we live this life and we work so hard, and sometimes you just need to take a step back and remember that, you know, it's a kid's game. We've all been playing this game since we were like eight years old, and it was, it was really easy when we were in middle school and high school, you know what I'm saying? But when you come to the yard every day, it can, it can get really easy to, you know, focus on like one little mechanic or try to, try to do this, try to do that, when in reality, you just got to go out there and play baseball. Yeah, when did that mindset switch to that, um, trying to keep it simple for you? Honestly, this, this spring training, I, 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 it's kind of one of my goals just to, you know, go out there and, you know, play, have as much fun as I can and play baseball and try to win. That's, that's all I'm trying to do right now is do it with a smile on my face, have a lot of energy, and have fun. That's yeah. it. And you're somebody who made your major league debut last year. Mm-hmm. How much did that change just your offseason, knowing you are somebody who's made it to the show? Um, I mean, it's definitely uh, it was a great accomplishment, but, I mean, the offseason was the same as always, you know. I worked my butt off and uh, went, went into spring training, trying to compete for a job, got assigned here, and now I'm just still competing and just playing the game every day. You feel like your role changes in that room when you are a guy with experience in the majors? Um, I don't view it that way, but but maybe so. Yeah, yeah because from somebody else's perspective, I, I may have that label on me, but me internally, I don't feel like it at all. I'm saying I'm saying old Chucky, you know, uh, trying to just trying to win ball games. Yeah. Well, yeah. what was your takeaway from that time up there last year? Um, man. Uh, the show is it's dope. It's, it's dope, man. Put that on a bumper yeah, sticker. Yeah, right? exactly. The show is dope. No, um, my my biggest takeaway was you know dudes dudes pay attention. You know uh, they they play they play the game. I, I feel like the difference between the minors and, and the big leagues is, is dudes are they're, they're playing the game. They're watching the game. They're talking to each other. They're making the adjustments. You know they're like they're, they're seeing little things like dudes tipping pitches or. Or hey, this dude's throwing throwing this pitch in this count every time. You know they're, they're playing the game for what it is, and you, not too many dudes are worried about the mechanics or are worrying about all this other stuff. They trust they trust all the work they put in. You know, and everybody is is there for one for one goal, and that's to win the baseball game, offensively and obviously behind the dish. Being being uber prepared and, and knowing knowing all my hitters, knowing all my pitchers, their strengths, and just 
just trying to win. You know, that's the that's the biggest thing is everybody's trying to win. This is not an individual game, it's a team game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so d- did that experience kind of help form what you were talking about finding this spring? Yeah, honestly, I think that rubbed off a lot. Just just seeing like the camaraderie that that comes with the big leagues and and how important how important every single pitch is, you know, not not giving in to to a hitter just just because or giving up in that bat just just because, you know, just you know, trying to trying to win. It's as crazy as it sounds. Sometimes it's just you get caught you get caught up in in you know internal things and you forget that it it is a team game. So that, I mean that's that's the way I want to play the game. It's a lot easier to play that way, man. Right. A lot easier to get up get up and, and get to the field and, and when you know you're playing for something bigger than just yourself. You know. Yeah. What do you remember most about your debut? I mean, you got a knock. You almost had your debut in Iowa, which was yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work out that way, but you did start in Philly. Mm-hmm. What do you remember from that game? Um, from the game, uh, obviously, I remember the knock. Uh, that that lineup was, was pretty cool to, to call. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. To, to yeah. call pitches against that was that was pretty cool. Um, and and my family being there, that's what I remember the most. You know, right. my dad, my grams, my wife, everybody was there. It was just a dope experience overall. Yeah, and catching is kind of in your blood. I mean, your yeah. dad, your grandfather, mm-hmm. we're all catchers. How much does it mean to you to be the guy who got into the majors? Uh, man, it means a lot. You know, me and me and my grandpa, man, we we freaking grind it all way. <laughs> I'm talking. We we put in we put in a lot of time, man. It's definitely uh, it's definitely a, a really cool accomplishment, you know. But me and him, we talk all the time, and it's like we're just getting started. So we're gonna keep our head down and keep working and. Hopefully, I can have a good career up there. Did you keep stuff from that debut? Did you give stuff away, like batting gloves? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I still got a lot of stuff. I got, um, I got my first like hit, my first home run, my first caught stealing. No, uh, I kept, kept, kept my bat. I got the lineup card. I got a lot of stuff. I feel like caught stealing's not caught, talked about enough. Like the yeah. home run ball, the first hit ball, caught yeah, stealing. Yeah, I kept my caught stealing. Yeah. Okay, you know, I need that Especially one. with yeah. your arm. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, let me get that one. Well, speaking of catching. You're here in AAA now with the ABS system, mm-hmm. which everybody's still trying to get used to. Right. You guys are using it first three days, and then you're going to challenge mm-hmm. the last three days of every week. What is it like working in that system, having to switch rules essentially halfway through the week? Uh, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm new to it. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely takes away the art of framing right. away from the position. Um, you can definitely get a little lackadaisical back there because I mean you can you can butcher a ball and it's still a strike, but. Um, it, it's kind of a unique perspective to see what was really a ball and was really a strike. Mm. There's some balls that I catch and I'm like, oh man, that's been a strike my whole life. And the um, sometimes the umpires are like, wow, you know, to see how how small the zone really is, right. that, the ABS zone. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's not foolproof. Sometimes a ball may clip the bottom of the zone because a big curveball, whatever the case may be. Um, and then switching switching to the last three games of the series where we can challenge, I kind of like that. Uh, I kind of like the challenge, just because I don't know it brings some excitement to the game, kind of like tennis. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's some suspense, you know, in there. We can challenge some some critical pitches and kind of flip the whole at bat. But uh, I definitely think it's, it's it's shrinking the zone too, even from the umpire's perspective, because you know they're seeing how small the zone really is. And, right. You know, behind the dish, we were taught to you know still strikes, get around pitches, and we we know it's off. And we, and we get the strike, but if he calls it a ball, we can't challenge it, so a ball's a ball, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And I, I think umpire, umpires are definitely getting, I guess, better because of it. The, the zone is definitely a little smaller. I think mm-hmm. I think it's a, definitely an advantage to the hitter if I were to give an advantage. Yeah. yeah. And do you still work as if you are framing a pitch, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Yeah. The, 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 first, uh, the first game, I was like, ah, let me... Let me let me take, let me take it easy. So I, I, I was yeah, you know, relaxed. Yeah, I was back there chilling. But I'm like, hey, I, I still gotta work. So yeah, I'm I'm taking every game like like I'm getting graded for it, you know. Right. But um, are you getting graded for it? Like, is there ways of judging how your framing is working? Whether oh it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's uh, SL plus. There's a stat for it. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, strikes looking. All right. Well, speaking of the art of catching, you guys have a really good prospect here, Nelly De La Cruz, who's learning the zone and walking more. As a catcher, and you're watching him, is there any part of you that thinks like this is how I would pitch to him? Uh, to Ellie? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. That kid. <laughs> that kid can mash. You know, I, I've, I've seen I've seen him do some crazy things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it is, Ellie. Honestly, <laughs> he he can hit the ball in the opposite field. He can pull it. I mean, he has a great eye, so he's kind of keyholing. So you gotta you gotta come to him. Right. And if if you if you miss middle, he can he can hit a ball a long ways. 
Yeah, you said yeah. you've seen some crazy things. What's the craziest thing you saw so far? Ah, man. This kid was jogging. I, I seen him jog, like, it was a, it was a triple to, to left center. And he was, I'm pretty sure he was jogging the whole time. I'm like, like left center, I'm, I'm, I'm like sliding in the, I'm sliding in the second on his out. Right. And yeah. it's like five strikes. Yeah, that, like even, even today, he hit a, he hit a, a chopper in, in shallow, shallow right field and got a double out of it. Right in front of the right fielder's face. Like the kid's, the kid's a, he's a, he's a phenom, man. I can't, I can't wait to see what he does. Well, just to kind of round it out, what do you feel like you need to do now to kind of push the, uh, the issue to get back to Cincinnati, especially with this youth movement and guys are getting opportunities. Yes. Um, you know, just keep keep doing what I can do. You know, control what I can control. Uh, and I, I don't make decisions, so I just play my game, try to win ball games, and I think that goes hand in hand with uh, you know having you know having success on the baseball field. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about that as long as I as long as I'm behind the dish, as long as I can stand in the box and swing. You know, I'm happy, and uh, the people who make the decisions, they'll make them. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once had some real pep in its step. Under scrutiny, the others don't even stand up. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Mount Vernon Vehemence. B. The Waycross Blowhards. C. The Cozad Shout It Outs. Blow it out your ear if you picked any other club than B, the Waycross Blowhards, who insisted upon a spot in the Empire State League of 1913. If the name of that circuit puts you in a New York state of mind, the Blowhards will be only too happy to disabuse you the notion. Waycross was way down where? In Ware County of the Empire State of the South, Georgia. Even by 1913, there was already a history of pro baseball in Waycross going way back. In 1898, Chicago's National League team held spring camp there, although the players relentlessly complained about the quality of the food and total lack of quaffable alcoholic beverages in town. By 1913, other clubs had played full seasons there, but the Blowhards blew into town along with the de facto headquarters of the new Empire State League, which was founded by James Sinclair, a businessman from a Waycross-based railroad line who was also active in town politics as well as being the league's first president. H.H. Burnett, also of Waycross, served as the circuit's inaugural treasurer. But the Blowhards benefited not one bit from any home field advantage league-wide. According to some sources, the club got its moniker from wild winds that sometimes blew in the region, but it more likely had to do with a team that was particularly outspoken about calls it disagreed with, which may have been many. And, as was common for the clubs at the time, the Blowhards' name was more of a sobriquet given by newspapers and the fans than a loan and official appellation. Call them what you want, but don't call them a great ball club. The Blowhards thought baseball would be a breeze, but they had trouble getting into the wind column. Waycross went through three skippers. Poor Charles Wahoo was fired on June 15, and his replacement, Jack Hawkins, was a catcher who was seemingly replaced by sometimes battery mate Wild Bill Clark, who won 16 games on the bump for the Blowhards. That's all the more impressive considering that the club had a total of 43 victories compared to 52 losses. Good for, or bad for, fifth place on the six-team circuit. 
Wild Bill was back at the helm for Waycross in 1914, but the loop was rechristened the Georgia State League, and the club was now known as both the Grasshoppers and the Moguls. And that's how the Blowhards blew out. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these lonely clubs always looked out for number one in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Corning Independents. B. The Killeen Individualists. C. The Medford Mavericks. Want to know the answer? You're on your own. Or, tuning to the next goes to the minors. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is playing Kick the Can, and I've got to shake it. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Josh Jackson for stopping by with Ghosts of the Miners. And uh, before we get out of here, we've got to tell you what to do with your weekend. And that is either watch baseball games on MILB TV or attend a game with an awesome promotion as selected by our very own Ben's Biz. Uh, Sam, let's kick it off. What are you watching this weekend? Yeah, I mean, you have to be watching Jackson Holiday at this point. I know last week we previewed some of the market corrections that were coming to the MLB pipeline top 100. Uh, if you haven't followed through on that yet, you might not know Jackson holidays are number three overall prospect. And that was just a snapshot in time. Like if we came out with the rankings two weeks from now, he might've already climbed to number two. He was certainly in the discussion for number one overall. So by the time we update these again, which is going to probably be in late June, he very well could take that top spot. Uh, from Jordan Walker, who sits there now, and Jackson Churio, who's number two. But Jackson Holiday's been on absolute tear at High A Aberdeen. Their games are televised this week. They are playing in Winston-Salem. Uh, as of recording this on Thursday, in his last two games, Jackson Holiday's eight for nine with six extra base hits. He has not struck out at all. Like I said, eight for nine. He only had one out. That one out was a line out. Uh, he's flirted with the cycle in each of the first two games against Winston-Salem. His high A slash line, and again, he's only 19 years old, but his high A slash line is 391, 500, 719. Um, so he's not only exceeding that kind of golden ratio of 300, 400, 500, he's reaching base half the time. He's slugging at least 700. It's been really special to, to watch Jackson Holiday be that next potential star uh, for the Baltimore Orioles and could give them three number one overall prospects in three separate years between Adley Rutschman. Uh, Gunnar Henderson last year and now Jackson Holiday. It's, it would be really incredible to see that. Um, but, you know, as, as much excitement as there is in Baltimore right now, there should be just as much for what's going on there in Aberdeen. So catch Jackson Holiday in the South Atlantic League while you can. Tyler, what's on your docket? Uh, I'm going to the AA Eastern League. Uh, the guy who was maybe uh, the most hyped prospect we've ever encountered in uh, in our time doing this work is uh, Jason Dominguez, who, uh, of course, famously drew comparisons to Mickey Mantle and Bo Jackson and Mike Trout. Jason Dominguez is uh, he's starting to get things figured out. It seems like a double A uh, last week. He hit a home run against the Portland Sea Dogs. It was preposterous. Uh, Josh Jackson and Jason Ratliff, our own pals, were in attendance for one of those games in Portland, Maine, and uh, he will be home. Jason Dominguez will be uh, this weekend taking on the uh, Reading Fightin' Phils for the Somerset Patriots. You can catch uh, Dominguez. He uh, is teammates at AA with Austin Wells, who's a second-ranked Yankees prospect. Uh, those two guys will be taking on the Phillies affiliate from Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, ben, what about from the promo side this weekend? What's got your eye caught in uh, minor league baseball across the country? I'm going to go, as I often do, a little irreverent, arguably lacking taste a little bit, but hey, let's have some fun. Uh, I like that as a premise. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all right. To set this up, um, of course, uh, everyone remembers, um, you know, the rough times we had in the year 2020 as a society, as a a world, as an earth. Um, But, you know, one of the things early on in the pandemic times was the toilet paper shortage. Um, you know, maybe a little bit artificial or maybe people are overreacting, but there was that period when everyone's figuring things out and hoarding and stockpiling toilet paper. And that caused a handful of teams in 2021 to do kind of like toilet paper related promos, uh, you know, maybe a giveaway saying, <clears throat> excuse me, I, should, I forgot to hit the cough button. Um, but, you know, just to do kind of toilet paper theme nights in 2021. 
um, having a little fun with uh, you know our societal reaction to uh, stocking up on toilet paper of all things uh, immediately in the wake of a pandemic and not knowing what was going on. Um, so then last year, the Charleston River Dogs said, you know, that was fun. We're still going to do a toilet paper promotion. And this Saturday, they are completing the trilogy with Toilet Paper 3, The Final Wipe. So they say this is it for their toilet paper promotions. It's going out with a flush is actually how they put it. And um, I don't know all the specifics of what they have planned for in-game with toilet paper. But after the game, quote, all fans still in attendance will receive a roll of paper as soon as the final out is recorded. A roll of toilet paper. We'll then count down and treat the ballpark like your high school math teacher's house. Wipe your schedule clean for this one. So the Charleston River Dogs, who have done this sort of thing before, I remember when they had like a big color explosion one night uh, a couple of years ago with those like colored dye packets where they just created a huge mess with this color explosion. Um, they like to do these kind of participatory participatory things and so stick around for the end of this uh saturday evening tilt between charleston and delmarva where all charleston fans left in the ballpark and why would you leave knowing that this is going to happen get a roll of toilet paper and just throw it around the ballpark is this wasteful yes is it of questionable taste maybe but you know i like that they made this a trilogy and they're going out they're going out with a, with a big time memory for all who stick around throwing uh toilet papering the whole ballpark and uh you know thoughts and prayers to the op staff and anyone else who has to spend a lot of time that night uh cleaning things up the final wipe amazing yeah ben you missed a an uh, own, uh, own goal on the on a player you said thoughts and prayers you could have said t's and p's oh, oh whoa man whoa sam that was that was that was that was some real solid material. That was that was excellent. And I'm just giving it away for free on this show all the time. What can I say? Real solid material. Ironically, the stuff you need the least amount no, of toilet no, paper. No, for. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if we the are, jokes uh... that have been made here in the last minute. That is number two, Tyler. <laughs> uh, on that note, we got to get out of here. Uh, we don't want a real crappy finish. Uh, for Sam Dykstra and Benjamin and Josh Jackson as well. My name is Tyler Vaughn. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the show before the show. We'll catch you next week.